Good morning, all. Great to see you. Welcome. I'm Greg Paris, pastor here, and so glad you're here. And this is a very special sermon series that we've been doing worship themes around the subject of purpose, living your life on purpose, living with purpose, living with a sense of identification and destiny and definition. Why on earth am I here? It's a great question, right? One of the fundamental questions of life. And so today we've chosen as our text from the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 to 14 for us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. Today's theme is called to be loved. These next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the primary call of God on each one of our lives. And today, we are called to be loved. So if you have your Bibles, I thank you for turning to Ephesians 1. Our custom here is to stand to hear God's word. So if you are able, as you are able, please stand. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, may God help us to realize every spiritual blessing promised to us through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, listen to me. As, we, as we're laying foundation... For understanding your purpose. Watch this now. This is so important. Your purpose in life, your calling in life has to begin with God. Can't begin with you. I mean, think about it. You can't tell yourself what your purpose is. You have to allow the creator, the one who made you, determine what your purpose is. Now, having said that, here's what we know about God. If we're going to rely on him for purpose and meaning, definition in life, here's what the Bible says, that God is love. Not that merely he has love or he expresses love, he shares love, but that he is intrinsically, essentially, by his nature and character, God is love. Everything in the world then that has a loving component is the result of God's expression to us, his gift to us. If it weren't for God and his love for us, there'd be no way for us to love or to receive love, no expressions of love. We know that the entire world, the entire universe has been made by God, created by God in order for him to love it. So God loves everything in the world. He loves every rock, every tree, every plant, every animal, every human being. He loves you. He loves me. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, our text this morning, that before God even created the universe, 
He had already chosen you and created you in order to love you. That's the whole point. Now, in your outline, you'll see at the top there are a few bullets, and I want to just rehearse those with you as we begin to understand and comprehend God's love. The first is this, that the first purpose of my life is to be loved by God. First purpose is to be loved by God. Now, let that sink in if you can. You see, your first purpose in life isn't to serve God. It's not to trust God. It's not to obey God. It's not even to love God. Watch it now. Your first purpose in life is to receive his love, to be the beneficiary of his love, to be the receptacle of his love, the receiver. The, the, the end result of his love is to be experienced by you. Your first duty in life, then, is not to do something. It's not to learn or to listen or to pray or to give or to sacrifice or to serve. All those things are important, but it's not your first priority. It's not your first purpose in life. Not to be or do those things, but rather to receive his love. Now I want to introduce you to the book of Jude this morning. Uh, all you Bible students will know that Jude is the next to the last Bible in the New Testament just before Revelation. It's a short book, one chapter. It has only 25 verses. And the reason I'm bringing up Jude today is for this primary purpose. So that when you get to heaven as a representative of Union Chapel, what church are you from? You say Union Chapel, and Jude walks up to you. You don't go, Jude, who the heck are you? I've never heard of you in my life. That would be embarrassing for me as your pastor. So from, from now on, you're familiar with Jude. So when you see Jude in heaven, you can say, hey, nice book, man, 25 verses. That's awesome. <laughs> now, Jude says in the first verse of his book, this letter is from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Servant of Jesus, brother of James. Now, that is a very humble statement. Let me tell you why. Jude is actually a half-brother to Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that Jesus had siblings, but he did. When, when Jesus was born, of course, his mother Mary was a virgin, and he was born to the virgin Mary. After the birth of Jesus, though, Mary and her husband Joseph consummated their, their marriage, and they had many children after that. So Jesus has a number of half-brothers and half-sisters. Jude was one of those. Now, let me just ask you a question today. How hard do you think it would have been growing up in a family with Jesus? You know, as one of the siblings. I mean, stop and think. How many of you were in a, oh, don't raise your hand, but how many of you were in a house when your mother always loved your sibling better? You know, my older brother, he was perfect, but not me. You know, and it kind of leaves you with a sour taste, right? It puts a chip on your shoulder. Imagine, imagine growing up with Jesus. Jude goes running to his mother, Mother Mary. Mom, Jesus said a lie about me. Now, Jude, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Who told the lie? <laughs> Maybe interesting for you to know that, that as far as we can tell, none of Jesus' half-siblings actually believed that he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. They grew up with him, and, you know, there's something funny about that boy. They, they heard him teach. They saw his miracles, all of that, but none of it ultimately convinced them until they saw him crucified, dead, and then alive again. And after the resurrection, that's when his siblings believed. Jude uh, concludes this statement in his book by saying that this is a letter from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother 
of James. And then he says this statement, I'm writing to all who are called to live in the love of God, God the Father. And so Jude understood it. He got it, that we're called to live. Our purpose in life is to live in the love of God, to understand and receive the love of God. Now, here's another bullet point on your outline. My first calling then is this. I am called to enjoy a relationship with God. Called to enjoy a relationship. Now, this is so fundamental. This is so important. It's the number one calling in your life. By the way, all I'm going to do today is say the same thing many different ways. And so here's another way to say it. Your primary calling in in life is not to a role, it's not to a responsibility, it's not to rules, it's not to regulations, it's not to rituals, it's not to a religion. You are called to a relationship. It's your primary call to receive the love of God so that you can be in relationship with Him. Now this may come as a surprise to some of you, but here's the statement, Christianity is not a religion. It is not. Sorry, Christianity is is the largest world religion. No, no. No, there are more followers of Jesus on the world than followers of anyone else. But Christianity is not a religion. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about rituals. Christianity is about a relationship that you can have in a personal way with God through Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So what kind of relationship does God want you to have with him? Does he want you to be his slave? No. His servant? No. His soldier? His warrior? No. Your wor- his worker? His employee? No. One of his minions? No. No, no, no. Here's what God wants. He wants you to be his son or his daughter. He wants you in his family. That's what God wants. Romans 1.7 says, Dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly, and he has called you to be his very own people. Wow. Now here's the third bullet. It's at the top of your outline. The relationship then... God created you for is to be his son or his daughter. That's the level of intimacy he wants. 1 John 3, 1 says, What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown us that we should be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. How great is that? We belong to God. We're in his family. So your first, your number one purpose in life is not to accomplish something. It's not to make something of yourself. It's not for you to make a lot of money and be famous or popular or, or to indulge yourself in a, in a bunch of fun. That's not your primary. That's not it. Your number one purpose in life, God created you and called you to be loved by him and to experience that love. That's it. That's the point. Now, there are dimensions of God's love. Let me just highlight that. It's in the middle of your outline. The first one is this. The love of God is wide enough to be everywhere. It's wide enough to be everywhere. It's in the darkest place, the dingiest place, the most deprived place. The love of God is everywhere. It's in every bar. It's in every crack house. It's in every red light district where human beings are selling their bodies to other human beings. Wherever you find that behavior, God's love is there. In every barrio, in every slum, in every ghetto, in the, in the cities of the world, the love of God is there. And you say, well, look, I don't see it there. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. There are a lot of things in the world you can't see, but they're real. For example, right now there are radio waves and, and television waves going through this room. In fact, going through your body. There's high-def television going through your body right now. The Colt game is going right through your body right now. (laughs) 
You just can't see it because you don't have the tuner. But it's real. Uh, there are atoms. Every, the building block of the universe is based on the atomic world, but you can't see that activity, but it's real. It's true. And same uh, is true with God's love. While you can't always see it, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So how wide is God's love? It is so wide that it covers everything. It goes everywhere, which means in a practical way, watch this now, you may feel utterly alone, utterly isolated, iso utterly dismissed in life, but listen to the truth. You are never, 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 ever alone because the love of God is with you. It's everywhere. Love of God is everywhere. Look, look at this. It's not only wide enough to be everywhere, it's long enough to last forever. Long enough to last forever. Now, this is different than human love because human love wears out, right? It does sometimes. That's why there are divorces and breakups and conflict and people will get estranged from one another. But God will never, ever stop loving you because it, it's forever. Even if you choose to reject him, there are a lot of people in our world today who just turn their back on God and they reject God and they rebel against God. And they say, look, I didn't ask God to love me, so bug off. I'm not interested in God's love. In fact, I choose to, to be eternally separated from God. People choose to go to hell. In fact, it's the only way you can go to hell is to choose to go. The only people in hell will be people who chose to be there. God doesn't want you to be there. He wants you to be with him. But there are people who say, look, I, I, am so, I am so obstinate toward God's love that, that I'm going to choose to go to hell. At least then I can get finally away from this notion that God loves me. You can't. If you decide to go to hell, listen, God will still love you. Our scripture this morning says that God loved you before the foundations of the world, which means a million years ago, God knew about you and he loved you. And a million years from right now, wherever you are, God will still love you because his love lasts forever. Watch this. It's also deep enough to handle anything, to handle anything. No matter what pain you're in, what problem you have, what hurt you're experiencing, you may say, look, I'm in the pit. I've hit bottom. I'm in, I'm in the pit of hell. I'm in the pit of despair. My, my situation is hopeless. Now, wait a minute. No, no. God's love goes deeper and lower than your problem. You see, it's deep enough to handle anything. Deep enough to handle anything. So hang on to that. Here's a, another thing about God's love. It's high enough to overlook my sins. This is good news for me. I don't know about you. You, you, guys are all, you guys are all probably more pious. So you don't need this point. So I'll just preach to myself. It's high enough to overlook my sins, my, my faults, my mistakes, my failures, my flubs, my sin, my rebellion. It's high enough to go over that. As I mentioned, God knew you before there was a you. We learned this in our scripture last week, and we've heard it again today, that before the foundations of the world, God knew you. He knew every one of your days before there was one of them. He saw you when, you when you were conceived. He heard your first cry. He saw you when you took your first breath. He, he saw you before the foundations of the world, every high and every low, every joy and every disappointment in your life, every, every moment of pain, every moment of, of exaltation in your life. He knew every detail, and yet he still chose to create you in order that he might love you. He saw all your problems, all your all, all your faults, all your failures, he saw all of that disappointment. He still chose to love you. 
because his love overlooks your sin. It's really good news. So here's the question. Here's the question today. How would your life change? How would your life be different? How would your life be transformed if you began to be aware of God's unconditional, continuous, never-ending love? That's the question today. If, if what I'm saying is actually true, that God's love for you is the primary purpose for your life, that you are receptive of that primary thing, and your primary purpose, function, meaning in life comes from how well you're able to assimilate and receive the love of God, what change would that make in your life? What difference would it make? Well, let me just say that we could list a hundred different things that would benefit your life if you received the love of God. But let me just give you a few this morning. So on your outline, the first one is this. Number one, I feel accepted rather than ashamed. I feel accepted rather than ashamed. Most people go through their entire life and they avoid God. That's what happens. And the reason people avoid God is because they just don't know how to relate to God. They're not quite sure about God. They, they, they feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed. They feel guilty. They feel condemned. They feel judged. They feel criticized, and so people rationalize, and they think, well, if I go hang out with God or hang out with God's people, if I consider God, who is a perfect God, and I'm not so perfect, I know I'm not, it's just going to make me feel worse and feel more guilty and ashamed because I make mistakes. And so I just prefer not to have to deal with this notion of God or God's people so it won't make me feel bad. But watch, that's, that's a really incredible deception. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, by faith we have been made acceptable by God. And now because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in peace with him. Wow, how great a promise is that? God wants to be at peace with you. Now let me tell you why this is so important. It's because... It will set you free from the unrealistic expectations that all of us tend to have in becoming a person who is acceptable and approved by others. Listen to me carefully. Every last one of us in this room today, to one degree or another, have an addiction to approval. We all do. Some of us are, some of us are deep, deep into it. Others of us not as deep, but all of us suffer. That's the way we talk the way we do. We dress the way we do. That's the way we do the things we do, uh, buy the things we buy. All of this feeds into this need for approval. And sometimes we get to a place in life where we are so desperate for the approval of others that we will begin to behave in all kinds of weird and unbalanced and dysfunctional ways just to get people's approval and their pleasure. But friends, sooner or later, the more people-pleasing you tend to be, you'll come to the realization, if you haven't already, that you're trying to please a bunch of unpleasable people. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you can't please everybody. And that's the truth. That's a fact of life. Now think about receiving the love of God and the acceptance, unconditional acceptance of God, how that will make you feel accepted rather than ashamed, rather than outcast, you'll feel included. Sometimes... People who are perceptive and discerning will ask me this question because they've been able to intuit this about my life. They'll say, how do you keep doing what you do? Because I imagine there are people who don't like you, the people who uh, criticize you or people who reject you for one reason or another. I mean, anyone who 
leads uh, in a in a very public way and says as many words publicly as I do is going to get some push once in a while. And so perceptive people ask me the question, how are, you, how are you able to hang in there like that? Because it must not be easy. And in fact, it's hard. But let me tell you what I've learned over the years. The reason I'm still standing, one of the reasons anyway, is because I've learned that my acceptance and my approval isn't based on what you think. It's based on what God thinks. Come on now. If I realize and appropriate and assimilate the unconditional love and acceptance of God in my life, that changes everything. So, so I know that God loves me and I like me. And if God loves me and I like me and you don't like me, then what's your problem? So I just don't like you. Well, too bad. God, God loves me. God loves me. I like me. Why don't you like me? You, you need to go check yourself out. Something must be something wrong with you. <laughs> I mean, what is your problem? What's not to like? So imagine how freeing, how liberating that can be. Make the application in your own life. God loves me. He accepts me. He forgives me. I don't have to be something I'm not. I don't have to pretend like I'm something. I don't have to be anything different than I am for God to love me unconditionally. He loves me. And when you realize the love of God, it'll change your attitude about yourself. So those, those put-downs and those, and those discouragement and that dis depression that comes to your life because you know you're not this or that or the other and other people are piling on to that narrative in your life, listen, be free in Jesus' name. Appropriate the love of God for you and you will feel accepted rather than ashamed. Here's the second thing, just another benefit of receiving God's love, and that is I become bold in bringing my needs to God. I'm bold when I pray. Yeah, because I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm in the family. I'm in the family. So I can come to God with boldness. When we were raising our two sons, you know, it's an interesting thing about small children. They think their parents... They think their parents know everything, have unlimited resources, can, can manage everything. It's interesting. Children actually believe that about their parents. It's, 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 it's an interesting instinct and something that we can observe and maybe learn from because children are so innocent. They're so pure in their perspective. And so I, when our boys were young, I mean, they would come up to me, and they, again, they thought I knew everything and I had everything. So they'd come up to me and they'd say, Dad, uh, I need some money. How much do you need? And they'd tell me and I'd say, why do you need that much money? And, they would, and then we'd have to negotiate it down. <laughs> but the idea was that they would ask me because they figured I had it. <laughs> what if they'd come to me and say, oh, thou most gracious progenitor of the Paris family, thou wonderful observer and keeper of the family fortune. Mayest thou, in thy wonderful, loving way, provide for us the sustenance we need. I know what I would do. I said, did you fall down and hit your head? I mean, what happened? Are you not, are you not right? Did you swallow something you should 
There's a great story, true story, that comes out of the Abraham Lincoln White House during the Civil War period. And Lincoln had a standing rule in the White House that his youngest son, Tad, could have immediate access to him any time, day or night. That was the rule. So there are stories that have been written and history records these moments when Lincoln would be in the most intense conversation with his cabinet ministers, Department of War, Department of Defense, something like that, uh, Secretary of State. I mean, they're talking about the, the, the conservation of, of the United States. I mean, civil war is raging and the nation is ripped apart and they're trying to manage it. I mean, you can't think of anything more intense and stressful than that. And so Lincoln would be in conversation with these, with these leading officials, and Tad would come just skipping into the Oval Office, just come skipping in, you know, with a little toy or whistling or whatever. And the rule was, if Tad comes in, he gets access immediately. And so the stories are told that time and time again, Lincoln would be in a serious conversation. Tad would come in. He'd jump up on the president's lap, and Lincoln would disengage completely from the conversation he was in. He would turn his attention completely to his young son, Tad, and say, Tad, my son, what do you need from your father? And Tad would either talk about something important or something frivolous, as a child would, until he was content, and then the president would let him go and resume his important meeting. And you say, well, wow, that's, that's a really fascinating story. That's an incredible insight into the relationship that the president had with his son. Well, listen to me. This is the relationship God wants to have with you. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You have rock star access to the Father anytime you need it. You, you shouldn't expect to go to God and for God to say, hold it just a second. Can't you see I'm busy? I'm trying to resolve the crisis in the Middle East. No, he doesn't give you that. He says, come on in here, sit on my lap, tell me what is it you need from me today. That's what receiving the love of God and understanding the love of God does to our prayer life so that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, you who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, so you should not be cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. Or some of your translations say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, and for, for some of you older people, Abba is not just a Swedish rock group. This is, these are old people giggling right now. So, so, so Abba actually means Daddy. It means Father. It's the first word that children in the Middle East learn. Just like we, we teach our kids Dad or Daddy or Mom or Mama. It's Abba, because it's easy to say. And this is the way we should approach God. You can only come boldly to God and talk to Him about anything, anytime, anywhere, when you appreciate how much God loves you. And so I feel accepted rather than ashamed. I am bold in praying my needs to my Abba Father, my Papa Father. And then thirdly, it's on your outline there, number three, I have peace in pain I don't understand. Peace and pain I don't understand. Now, you're going to have a lot of things happen to your life that you don't understand. There's going to be a lot of things that go on in your life that you don't get. I mean, you just don't understand. You don't comprehend it. And let me just say this up front. God doesn't owe you or me or anyone else an explanation for what he allows in your life. No, he doesn't. And I can tell you this. Not everything that happens in the world is God's will. 
I have a strong conviction about that. There's all kinds of nonsense in the world that has nothing to do with God's best plan for the world. There's pushback oftentimes in people's, in people's uh, psychology. They say, well, if God is so loving and, and so merciful, why does he allow suffering in the world? Why does he allow evil in the world? Why does he allow that? Well, let me just say that the answer to that question is very simple. See, God has made a trade. He could stop suffering and evil in the world just like that, just like that. And the way he could do it is by changing us so that we would no longer have the freedom to choose to do either right or wrong. And he could take from us our volitional will, the human capacity to make choices, and he could take that away from us and evil and suffering would cease immediately. But we would just be little puppets, always doing what God wants, and that's all. So the trade-off, the deal that God has made in the world is that he's willing to put up with evil and suffering in order to have us love him authentically as a volitional act of our will, voluntarily loving God because he wants our relationship to be authentic. And so he's willing to allow for the pain in the world in order to accommodate authentic relationship of love. It's just a reminder to us of how important God's love is and our relationship to that love. And so there'll be losses you don't understand in your life and there'll be hurts and rejection and problems that come to your life that you don't understand. But let, here, here's another thing. and let, let the pastor help you just for a second. You don't have to understand why things are happening to you in order to have peace. In fact, an explanation doesn't give you peace anyway. I mean, if someone precious to you dies, it's a horrible loss. And if someone explained to you why they died, it's not necessarily going to help you. Explanations don't comfort, as it turns out. So what you need in the midst of a moment that's confusing or painful for you isn't an explanation. Here's what we need. Watch it. We need God's presence. That's what we need. Because it's in the presence of God that we get the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7 says it this way, the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. What is peace that, peace that passes understanding? It's the peace of God. It's the settled knowing. It's the comfort in knowing. It's the hope that is resident within you no matter the circumstances. No reason, no explanation, no discernment about your terrible story, your narrative. Only that you know God is with you and you have peace in the midst of a storm. It all comes from the feeling of knowing God's love. Most of you know that my wife Beth is suffering with cancer right now and having treatments for cancer. Uh, about 10 days ago, she got her first infusion of chemotherapy, and one of the consequences of that is that it drives down white blood cells, and so your immune system is compromised, and so you're more susceptible to infection, and so there's a protocol that the oncologists give you uh, if you develop a fever and if you get certain, past a certain temperature, then you need to respond because there's an infection somewhere in the body causing this fever. And that happened to Beth on Friday night, just a couple of days ago. And so at midnight on Friday, uh, her fever went past that threshold. And so I took her to the emergency room. And so we're all night in that process and they start infusing her with with antibiotics, trying to knock down this infection, whatever it is, because her blood count was very low. And she's still in the hospital right now. 
But as Saturday morning came around and she finally got her own room and folks finally left her, she was not feeling well and, and she was shivering, you know, that feverish uh, shiver that all of us can identify with. And everyone had left the room. And, and, and so I just, I leaned down and I put my, my face, my cheek right next to her cheek. And I, and I let my body warmly and gently just rest on top of her because she was trembling so much. And I just began to whisper the name of Jesus. That's all. Not why God, why is this happening? Why this setback? Why this, why her, why now, why me? Because an explanation isn't what you need in a moment like that. What you need is God's presence. And in 20 seconds, no exaggeration, in 20 seconds, she stopped trembling. Her brow unfurrowed. And she went off to sleep. Peace that passes understanding will guard your minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. I have peace and pain I don't understand. And that's the benefit of knowing the love of God. Now one more thought. We'll be done. I gained the courage. Watch this. I gained the courage to take risks. As I mentioned, I could list a hundred benefits of receiving the love of God, but here's one of them that I really like. I get, I get courage to take risks. I don't know about you, but I get encouraged. I get emboldened when I know people believe in me. You're the same way. For me, Beth is my biggest cheerleader. You know, if she just squeezes my hand or she whispers encouragement to me or she gives me a look and a little smile, you know, a little wink or opens her big brown eyes so I can see them, that's so emboldening to my life, so encouraging to me because I know she believes in me. You know, there may not be anybody else who believes in me, but if she believes in me, I can do it. You know how that feels? That's the way it is. Now listen, God Almighty believes in you. He believes in you. Remember, He created you in spite of knowing everything about you. He knows everything about you and still He created you so He could love you. So he believes in you. Are you kidding? God doesn't make a mistake. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make disposable. God makes precious. God makes primary. God, God makes potential-filled people. And that's what you are. So here's my challenge to you. Here's where I want to just can really confront you today. No matter where you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter how young or how old, do not give up on the dreams that God has placed in your heart. Do not give up on those things that you know God has asked you to do because God believes in you. One of the great tragedies of all of human life is when a person comes to the end of their life and they have failed to realize their potential, God-given, because they got afraid or they got timid or they got knocked off course, they got discouraged. Well, I tried that and I, I failed. I'm, so, I'm afraid I'm going to fail if I try that again. What a... Uh, it just scares me to death. I'm just, I just don't think I should do that. 
wait a minute, Almighty God thinks you've got the right stuff and His love is unconditional toward you, so you can do it, so you should go for it. You shouldn't give up on your dream because the love of God will give you the courage you need to take risks. Let me summarize this whole sermon in one statement. If you haven't been listening, uh, here's the summary statement, okay? Here it is. The problem, you see, isn't that you don't love God. Because I know you do. You're trying, right? You want to love God. The problem isn't that you don't love God. Here's the problem. The problem is that you don't realize how much God loves you. He really loves you. Deep and wide and high and long, He loves you with an everlasting love. And your first and primary purpose in life is to say yes to that love. So be emboldened and encouraged to receive his love today like never before. It will change and transform your life. Now let's pause and pray about these things. Oh God, we're amazed at how much you love us. It's amazing. Thank you that your love for us is wide enough to be everywhere, long enough to last forever. You'll never stop loving us. Thank you for your love, which is so deep that it handles all my problems so high that it overlooks my mistakes and faults and failures. And today, God, I want to feel accepted rather than rejected and ashamed. I want to be bold in my prayers, bringing my needs to you. And Lord, we need the peace that passes understanding. Peace even in pain. Lord, so let your love encourage us to go after our dreams. So Jesus Christ, the best we know how, we surrender every part of our life, every aspect of our life. We want to learn to love you back because you love us so much. So help us, Lord, spend the rest of our lives embracing your call by letting you love us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.